Well, good morning. Last week, and I guess the week before, maybe two, we talked a bit about uh, the importance of uh, a personal, daily devotional life. And uh, I invited some of you who have experienced uh, uh, the power of that in your own life to uh, talk to me about it, because we'd like to hear from you. And the first person to talk to me last week was Bill Kirk. So Bill, uh, why don't you come up and uh, take a few minutes here and just share with us some of your experience in the devotional life. And I'm going to sit down. You're ready to go. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that to get all my pieces together because I'm, my, my grandson, my youngest grandson has it right. He says, I'm old. He's right. <laughs> and he's right. I came uh, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ when I was in my 30s. And uh, my wife also, Judy, also came when she was in her 30s. We were from uh, church families, but they weren't Christian families. So I am a work in progress. and. Uh, I came middle age. I didn't come as a child, as many of you did. Every day at 4 a.m., I get up because my back says, get up. I have five compression fractures in my back, male osteoporosis, and I don't ask, I don't ask that the Lord would take it away. It's just the way it is. <clears throat> so I just grin and bear it. Um, part of my devotions I do then, and uh, I, up from 4.15 to 5 o'clock, and uh, I have a list of addresses that I go to, some I read, and some I know by heart. But the word is essential, and then of course I pray. But the uh, most important one for me is Philippians 4, 6, and it goes like this. Uh, I'm gonna share that with you. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And I often forget the thanksgiving. And I didn't uh, realize that the prayer part was there until Dave started preaching on prayer. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God doesn't promise that he will grant our request. He simply promises that he'll grant us peace, and he does. And, and we are told to bring our list to him. So, you know, I do. I do my devotions every morning and then I walk and I pray when I do my devotions and I pray while I walk. And I spend time within his word and I spend time with him. As of last August, we were married 54 years the first 26 or so were lousy because I was a bum. So I'm a work in progress. The last 25 have been much better, but I'm still working on, on those. And some of the addresses that I read, I'll share with you. Some I read, some I know by heart. Psalm 103, which Pastor Dave shared with me in the hospital a few years ago, and uh, verses 16 and 17, 17 and 18, excuse me, are good for grandparents. And Psalm 121 and Psalm 1, I know by heart. And I'm going to share Romans 12, 
1 through 2 with you because that's where I am. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And I used to, and I still do, but uh, I fight against it. And with his help, I'll win. But be transformed by the, re by the renewing of your mind. And that's what I do uh, every day, and especially on Sundays. And I hope you do too. And then you will be able to uh, test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I also read Romans 8, 23 and, uh, through 27, and Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, Colossians 3, 1 through 8, and Colossians 3, 12 through 17. I'm going to share those with you. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, read this way. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. <clears throat> and I don't have any of those. And, and maybe you don't either, but I, I will, and I'm working on them. Bear with each other and forgive whatever, whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And that's me. And, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ roll in your heart and give thanks and be thankful. Let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and teach each of you and admonish one another in wisdom and with all wisdom. And as, as, as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And the one, most important one for me uh, is, is this one, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So like I said, I'm a work in progress. I spend time with God every morning. I spend time in his presence, in his word, and with prayer. And, and I, I have the time because I'm retired, but I did it uh, when I was shaved before I was retired. And I'm a retired administrator, and I'm a very uh, private person, so I don't come up here uh, easily or willingly, but uh, I'm doing it because God led me here, and I prayed about that, of course, too. And so um, I thank you for having me, and I thank you for letting me share this time. Thank you, Bill. Now, there's some other people out there, I know, <coughs> who are saying, you know, I could maybe do that. If I were a little bit braver, <coughs> if uh, they drug me up there, I could maybe do that. Well, we won't drag you up, but we would be interested to, to hear from you, because I think that, uh, that it's helpful to know that there are people who actually, on a daily basis, uh, spend devotional time with God. And it is transformative. So, thank you, Bill. Today, I want to take up uh, a question that 
is, is a personal question, and I suspect it is for many of us, the question, why do we pray? <clears throat> Get my clicker on here. Uh, yeah, let's just jump right into it. number of texts that go into my response to this. First is in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 7 to 10, in which we find the writer here is looking back on the stories about Jesus, particularly the story of his experience in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before the cross. So here's what the writer says. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He offered up prayers and petitions to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard. And yet his prayer was not answered in the way that he asked it, right? Let this cup pass from me. But the writer says he was heard. And hearing in this sense means he was answered. And then uh, a text from Luke 18. One of uh, two short parables that Jesus told about praying. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said... In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. I think probably a better translation of that would be so that she doesn't eventually beat me down. (laughs) And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And then 1 John 5. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, We know that we have what we asked of him. Language very similar to Hebrews, right? Jesus was heard for his faithful submission 
And John says, we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. All right, well, let's jump into it. Let's, let's talk about the problem of prayer. In fact, there's a number of problems, and we'll, we'll try to talk about some of them in this series. But to me, this is, this is maybe the fundamental problem that I wrestle with, and I suspect that you do too. What I wrestle with is that God is sovereign. That's, that's not where the wrestling comes in, but this is kind of the underpinning to it. God is sovereign. So, the Lord says in Isaiah 46.10, My purpose will stand. I will do all that I please. That's, that's a bold statement of sovereignty, but that's not a once, you know, that's not a one-off in the Bible. That's just a summary of something that runs from Genesis to Revelation. It's a statement of God's kingship. And that's a, a metaphor used of God over and over again. The Psalms say, the Lord reigns. They don't just say it once, it's again and again. The Lord reigns, the Lord is king. And, uh, and therefore, what God chooses to do, he does. Even the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that in Daniel chapter 4, I guess it is, right? He does whatever he wants in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, and no one can say to him, what are you doing? Or stay his hand, because God, God's the king. And that's bound up with the idea of the coming of God's kingdom. So we pray, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly, on earth, not so much. But the promise of the kingdom is that earth and heaven will be joined. And God's will, his purpose, his plans will be done with perfection. Because God is the king. So even in that prayer that Jesus teaches his disciples, the assumption of God's sovereignty underlies the whole prayer. All right. So, you ready for the problem? <laughs> See, here's the problem. So, when we ask according to God's will, and that's Jesus in the garden, that's how he teaches us to pray. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And the beloved disciple, John, in, in 1 John 5, we, we read it. We know that if we ask anything, he hears us. If we ask anything, and then the small print, right, according to his will. So, I guess the way I'd ask the question is something like this. If we ask anything, but we ask it according to God's will, 
do we then really get an answer? Say, well, if it's not according to God's will, God says, no. And if it's according to his will, and he's the sovereign, doesn't that mean he's going to do it anyway? And, and isn't Jesus the one who says, you know, you don't have to repeat yourself over and over again to God like the pagans do, because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So I, you know, the, one of the great problems, and for me, I guess it's, it's been the problem of prayer, is this, does, does prayer really change anything? What is, what is it we're doing in prayer? And maybe, maybe you feel that, I don't know, you've, maybe you've never articulated, but maybe you feel that and, and you say, yeah, I guess that's the reason I don't pray very much. If God's sovereign, he's going to do what he's going to do. Uh, my life's pretty busy, and I'm happy enough to say, Lord, you know, take care of it. Your will be done. We don't need to talk about it any further. All right, so you, you feel the problem, huh? So let's think about some reasons then that we pray, even in spite of feeling this tension. Some reasons we pray. I don't know that these are all of them, but I got four pretty quick, so we'll talk about those four, right? And uh, we don't have time for more than that anyway, so. All right, the first reason that we pray is because Jesus told us to. Is that a good reason? Yeah, that's a good reason. He's the Lord. He practiced prayer himself. We've seen that on a regular basis. Sometimes he prayed the whole night when he faced important decisions. He prayed even when he realized that his will was not the same as God's will. That's Gethsemane. There's a, there's a cute little... Uh, response that I'm sure you've seen. I saw it years ago, and I've always thought it was clever. Because I'm the mommy, that's why. I, I conceive that this was, was written by a mother who had a three-year-old. The three-year-old in the why stage. Not old enough to make good conversation, and so at every statement, the response was, why? Why? And there comes a certain point where, uh, I mean, I think it's good to try to answer children, but there comes a certain point where the bare assertion of parental authority is the way it has to be. Because I'm the mommy, that's why. End of questions for now. 
Well, there's a sense in which we have to recognize that about prayer and about the authority of Jesus. He tells us that we ought to pray. And that bare assertion of the authority of the one who is now recognized to be king and lord of all, the one who is bringing his kingdom, that's a good reason to pray. But secondly, we ought to pray because God desires to answer us. Now, there's this story that we just read about prayer that is always a little bit perplexing, I think, for us as believers. The story of the, the unjust judge who didn't care what, he didn't care about doing things right, he was corrupt. He didn't care what people thought, and now he has a woman who is without her husband, uh, which in the ancient world, even in the modern world, in much of the world, uh, some of the most at-risk people are widows. And uh, uh, this widow has been taken advantage of unjustly, and Her hope is that the judge is going to render a decision in her favor. So she comes to him and he puts her off. She comes again and he puts her off. And finally, he gets disgusted. He doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care about God and about what justice looks like. But he is getting tired of her coming. And finally, he says, you know, she's going to beat me down. Uh, I've got to get rid of her, and so he renders an answer that gives her the justice she desires. Now you say, well, what is, what is Jesus trying to teach us from this? <clears throat> and there are some people who think that part of the teaching in this story is that, uh, that Christians are to be like the poor widow who... Uh, You know, we're not getting what we want from God. So the encouragement of the story is keep on coming and keep banging on the gates of heaven and God will finally, you know, do what you want. Well, I think that's a a misread. Although the story is an encouragement for us to pray and to not give up. But I don't know that that necessarily means, in fact, I think it probably doesn't, that we just get credit for repeating the same prayer over and over and over again. Probably more in the line of what Paul says when he tells us to pray continually, right? Pray without ceasing Uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you need to pray the same prayer over and over again to somehow get God's attention. In fact, what the story suggests is that there is a contrast between the unjust judge, and God himself. The unjust judge really doesn't care about the woman. He really doesn't want to answer her, but he does want to get her off his case, or case load, as it was. And Jesus says, not that God is like this judge, but rather he says, how much more is it that the case when God's people pray to him? that he will respond, not because he's tired of their coming, 
but because he, in fact, loves his children and desires to answer them. So it's not the likeness of God to the judge, but the difference between the judge and God that is the key thing in this story. How much more, Jesus says, will God answer his elect who call out to him? God desires to answer us. And, that, and that's all through the teaching of Jesus. Right? Pray in this way, our Father. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Your Father takes care of the little flowers in the field and the sparrows that fly around. And you're of much more value to your Father than those things are. So pray, believing that God desires to answer. And then a third reason is this. We pray because prayer changes us. Now there's this uh, extraordinary reflection in Hebrews 5 that we read. And uh, we, we could spend a couple weeks on that paragraph. We, we don't have time. But what's striking to me is talking about Jesus crying out to his Father with intensity, with passion, and God hearing him, even though God does not take the cup away, he hears his Son. Jesus prayed to the one who was able to save him from death, says the writer, and he was heard. So God does respond. God does answer, not by taking away the cup, but having him drink it and then raising him up from the dead again. He brings him back to life. So God answers, though not in the way that Jesus asked it. But the writer goes on and says, through his suffering, he became perfect and became the author of salvation to all those who believe in him. The idea that the Son of God was made perfect. And the idea of perfect there is certainly the idea of of completeness. Uh, He came to that place through his suffering where he could become the fully competent, eternal, once forever high priest of his people and bring salvation to you and me. Prayer and the struggle of prayer was part of what matured Jesus to be the fully perfect Savior that he is. There's a great mystery there, but one that we need to take count of because You see, Jesus calls us into relationship with his Father, and he does not ask us to do or to be something that he is not. He prays and he struggles in prayer with God, not finding precisely the answer that he wants, but knowing that he's heard, trusting his Father. And he becomes that fully complete perfectly equipped Savior for us. And prayer 
Well, prayer changes us as well, doesn't it? In prayer, we come to see some things the way God sees them, including seeing ourselves. And that is part of life change. We come to see circumstances in a fresh way. Bill mentioned that passage from Philippians chapter 4. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now that's talking about change that doesn't primarily change the external world around us, but it changes the internal world, right? Don't be anxious. That's Fear is one of the great marks of our age. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Well, how do you do that? In everything, by prayer and petition, let your requests be made known to God. Bring your fears to God. And what happens? A change begins to take place. Fear gets replaced by the peace of God, which fills our hearts and minds. So prayer changes us. Now, you say, well, maybe maybe this is a way out of our conundrum about prayer. You know, what what does prayer do if God is sovereign and he has his purposes, which he's going to accomplish? Uh, Maybe, maybe prayer doesn't change anything in God. It just changes us and the way we see things. And in fact, there are various people who argue that. So here's the 19th century philosopher uh, Soren Kierkegaard who says, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. And you see how that could follow through from a certain understanding of God's sovereignty and power. Uh, Here's a contemporary uh, commentator, Daryl Bach, his commentary on Luke, on uh, on the very passage that we read about the unjust judge. Bach says, if God is all knowing, sovereign, and all caring, then why bother him with our requests? The answer to the dilemma of prayer is that it is not intended to do something for God but for us. It is one of the mechanisms of relationship that God gives to his children to be in touch with him. God may not need prayer, but we do. All right, well, he doesn't quite... I think Daryl's a little bit of a weasel word guy here. See, he's not quite addressing the problem here because what he says is prayer is not intended to do something for God. But to really focus the question and feel it, you have to ask the question in the way that Kierkegaard asked it. Not whether we're doing something for God, but are we changing God? Or are we changing what God is going to do if he's sovereign? That's the question. And I think, I think Bach falls on the side of those who say it doesn't really change God or his plans fair number of people that in one way or another, that's, that's where they end up, and that is the dilemma of prayer, right? 
Well, certainly prayer does change us. We won't agree with that. But a fourth reason to pray is I want to argue, and I didn't always do this. this. See, as I get older, your views change. And this is one place where my own understanding and reading of Scripture has been changing. I was more in that camp with Kierkegaard who says prayer doesn't really change God, it, it changes us. And that's an idea that goes right back all the way at least to the Middle Ages with the idea that people had of God as the unmoved mover. See, so they said God cannot change and if our prayers can influence God, then God is changing, and we know that can't be, so they came to that conclusion. Well, I'm not in that camp anymore, and so I'd want to add a fourth thing here for prayer, and that is that prayer helps to shape the world. Now, I'm choosing my words pretty carefully there. Prayer helps to shape the world. I don't know how else to read what James says to us. The fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And the implication is not just in himself that the change takes place, but in the world. In fact, the illustration that James gives is the illustration of Elijah who prayed fervently that it would not rain. And it didn't rain. And then he prayed again, and it did rain. It wasn't just inside him that the change came about. So let's come back and tie this to our definition of prayer that we've been working with, right? Maybe this is getting familiar to you, but let me put it up again. Prayer is conversation with God through which we experience his transforming friendship. Prayer changes us. And we partner with him in the work of his kingdom. Prayer changes the world. In other words, there are things that we pray for that will happen because we prayed. And there are things that will not happen and do not happen because we do not pray. Say, well, how how does that work if God is sovereign? Ah, there's the dilemma. Ah, we're out of time. I can't even answer that. Hey, but but again, you knew I was going to circle back to this picture, right? Because it just says so much to me about what we're talking about right here. So the little guy is helping his father. He's got his little tool belt on. He's really doing something. He's driving in some nails. Yes, half of them are going in crooked. But they're going in. He's actually partnering in a building project. His father is doing some things 
with him. Joyfully, because he wants to do that. And the little guy is actually teaming up. Now it appears to me that that's, that's a good illustration of how prayer works. God the Father says, I want the help of my children. I want them to participate in the work of my kingdom. goes right back to Genesis chapter 1. Made in the image of God and given things to do. Right? Take care of the garden. God says, I'm reclaiming my garden. I want help. Just as I did at the beginning. And And the best tool in your toolbox, my friends, the best tool we have to work with the Father is prayer. We join with Him. And when we do, there are things that happen that would not happen if we were not there with our little hammer. And there are things that do happen because we are there with our little hammer. And that's why we need to pray. Invite our music people to come up. And let's pray. God, this is a wonderful mystery that is put before us again and again. Particularly by by the Lord Jesus. That you who know how to do everything perfectly well, you who have the power to accomplish everything that you desire, you nonetheless, God, desire us, your children, to come into your presence to bring our prayers and petitions and you hear and you answer our prayers. How wonderful this is. How how amazing for us to conceive that we can have a little part in shaping that coming kingdom that we long for. God, may we, your people, grow in our prayerfulness, in our simple confidence of bringing our prayers and petitions before you. Will you be at work in us, Lord, over these next weeks and months, to deepen our conversation with you, that we might be changed and that the world around us might be impacted for the coming glory of the kingdom of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in a song? God is faithful through every storm.
and he is faithful forevermore. And as we come to know him more through his word and through prayer, we come to know his faithfulness in our lives.
as we seek you. Hear these words from 2 Thessalonians 3, the message version. May the master of peace himself give you the gift of getting along with each other at all times and in all ways. May the master be truly among you. The incredible grace of our master Jesus Christ be with you all. Go in peace.